the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. And and here we are with another uh, episode during the COVID-19 era. Very pleased to have with me uh, Jonathan Kubiak. Jonathan, maybe you can fill our audience in on where you fit into this sort of world of tech. You're quite a tech enthusiast and a, a technologist your, uh, yourself, but what's your uh, what's your day job? Oh, well, last time you saw me on the podcast, I was working for the guys over at DJI Fantech. Um, so selling all the DJI products, the cameras, the drones, um, and a few other bits and bobs. I've since jumped ship. Whilst I loved it there, I, I got phoned up by Fletcher's asking if I fancied joining them as an aerial surveyor. So um, I'm now the aerial surveyor for the Puhoi to Walkworth Motorway, which is a huge project. It's depending on how you measure it, it's the biggest infrastructure project in New Zealand at the moment. Um, a crazy amount of earth and rock being moved, and everyone will get to drive up that motorway. Well, it's supposed to be October next year, but let's see how that goes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, there's certainly uh, a few things that um, are, go- are going to be impacted in terms of um, you know timelines. So we will uh, we'll have to have to wait and see uh, what uh, you know how how these things get uh, get impacted. Um, but uh, look, I think that there's a positive aspect to the infrastructure work that's uh, that's going on, and that the government is uh, you know is working to fire up more infrastructure projects and look it's going to provide some really essential um, work and a boost to the economy uh, you know when we come out of this that there will um, you know there will there'll be growing investment uh, you know into New Zealand's infrastructure um, you know I guess as, as we saw uh, around the global financial crisis that was uh, you know that was part of what was done to uh, you know help firm up our economy and um, minimize how you know how many Kiwis in, ended up um, without without work. Now um, let's jump in. There's, uh, there's there's quite a bit to uh, to chat about today. Uh, and look, it's always a little bit of a juggle trying to work out you know what we what we can and and and, and can't necessarily uh, you know squeeze into the agenda. Um, now one gadget that I've been uh, playing with, and a, and a few people have been asking me, what's the you know what's the the right phone to buy at the moment? Should I be getting, uh, you know, the the new Samsung, um, you know, Galaxy S twenty, and then, you know, if so, which one should I be uh, should I be getting? Um, so I was having this um, dis- discussion with with somebody over the over the last few days, and uh, you know, debating the varying options. And I noticed that uh, Samsung on their own website are discounting a bunch of um, you know a bunch of their handsets, and then a- even for the newest, for the S twenty, they're doing sort of bundles where you get uh, you get a, a voucher or, you know, through some retailers you'll get uh, uh, Bluetooth headphones or speakers or, or, or whatnot. Um, so, you know, it's, it's still... I think that's been for a while just because Apple is so tight on their pricing. That's the way you beat them, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the retail prices aren't necessarily low um, on these products, but... I've been, you know, I've been using the, um, the S20 Ultra, which is... It's a pretty incredible, um, you know, ha- handset, and um, yeah, I, I mean, just really Im- impressed. I guess you know, when when I look around, all of the all of the sort of top end phones that really we've had access to um, in recent years, I mean, the or flagship phones as as it you know typically get called, I mean, they just seem to be really good. 
and this you know the, this most recent sort of round of devices is is in a similar um, similar you know basis is, you know there's there's not too much to to disappoint um, with the S twenty Ultra it is a a really you know a really big uh, big big screen it's um, it's nuts and you know a few years ago. Um, you know the if you know you'd put this next to anything on the market. I mean, you know, just it's so different to 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 where we where we've come from, um, and the and it's you know not just about the screen and the performance and so on. Um, the the S twenty has this uh, you know crazy array of uh, of cam- cameras on the back. And um, yeah, I've I got to say, for me, cameras is sort of one of the key things with with any uh, you know any device I, I buy that has a you know camera component to it, whether it's uh, you know a, a laptop uh, because a camera comes into play for, uh, for for video calls, whether it's a smartphone. Well, I mean that's kind of your everything camera, right? It's the one you've got with you all the time and uh you know i've i've used the uh, the previous um uh you know galaxy s10 uh for doing uh live streaming while i've been uh traveling for doing you know podcasts just 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 like this um and you know done similar things with with the iphone um but of course yeah there's there's all sorts of things that we would capture with our phone where you know having zoom having uh Having high high definition night photography and so on comes into play, and um, yeah, the S twenty, I guess where it really stands out is is on that uh, is on that zoom zoom front for me anyway. Um, is is very very capable. Um, I guess what, what's been really good with the Android phones as of late is I, I mean, being a tech geek, of course, back in the day I had Android phones. They were what I got once Windows mobile phones stopped being a thing. You know. I was the last person I knew to get an iPhone because, no, you're buying into the corporate model, you know. Um, But they never used to work. Do you know what I mean? Like, they were great. Like, I had a phone 10 years ago that supposedly had contactless payments. It's NFC readers. It had all of this technology, the great camera, had all of this stuff on it. The thing overheated five times a day. The battery life was a four. And then there weren't any apps for it. So, I finally left the Android ecosystem six months before it finally became acceptable and Samsung got really good at it. So, <laughs> um, but it's really good that they've come of age and we have a true competitor because for years, the only people actually making this, not a geek's toy, but a genuine workhorse, um, for years it was the iPhone because the alternative wasn't reliable enough. So it's fantastic they've come of age. But the flip side is it's nice to see that they're still not stopping doing the phones that almost work perfectly but still break because we've got the folding ones now. And they're hardly a recipe for success so far. So it's good to see that they're still keeping true to their roots of phones that aren't quite ready for market. Well, the, the Z Flip looks 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 pretty good uh, from Samsung as well. And I've had a little <laughs> bit of a play around with it just you know pre- prior to their public announcement. And uh, you know I, I quite like their approach. And and um, you know that being sort of a, a, a smaller little handset that can fit in your top pocket or a purse or you know wherever you might want to uh to throw it um you know seem, seems to be quite a quite a good approach and it, it sort of i guess takes us a little bit back to those flip phones of um of old to to a degree but oh, yeah, yeah boy. Motorola Razor back in the day that was <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, pre- pretty pretty nice. Um, but look, the yeah, I, I I like what they've done with the um, the S twenty, particularly the Ultra, with um, you know just that 
the 10x zoom which then um you know they have their smart zoom whatever i can never track they come up with a new brand name for these things but um they're they're 100 100 times zoom basically option um and and that um yeah if you're gonna do 100 times zoom it is gonna look grainy and whatnot but hey you can actually there are some things that you may choose to actually capture at at that um, resolution, but just having that complete leeway, whether it's a sports game, probably not too relevant right now. Um, but you know, longer term, yeah, just just having that sort of flexibility in a phone, I think, is is really cool. And look, they they continue to um, in, include their um, docking capability. So you know, I'm I'm running off a um, well, we've got um, we've got a couple of USB C. Uh, docking monitors here, and um, it works quite, quite, um, you know, quite, quite reasonably well. Um, probably where where it let me down, and this was not a surprise, I've got to say, um, is when I, I plugged the Samsung in um, to the new HP monitor, and this is an an incredible piece of uh, technology from um, from. Uh, HP. It's a 43, 43, something like 43 and a half inch um, widescreen display. Basically gives you the, it's a curved display, gives you the equivalent of um, uh, two side-by-side monitors, but in one. And you can actually, um, technically you can dock multiple devices to it at once. So the screen can split between, you you can have one half of the screen to um, your, you know, uh, Samsung, you know, S20. um, Or you could have a Mac on one side, Windows on the other side, or one device taking the whole lot. Um, The Samsung doesn't quite know what to do. With the resolution, if you if you hook it up as just a single device, um, well, that's, but, thing, right? that's that's nothing too drastic. No, no, no not at all. And I don't think there's. A, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. That's, where that's um, been a focus of Android for a while now: the ability to actually throw the laptop out and dock the phone. And that's where we still haven't seen Apple moving yet, because Apple still want you to go and buy an iPad Pro, um, and you, you just don't need to with, with these systems that you've got, right? <laughs> But well, no, I'm, yeah, it depends on how you like how you like to work. But um, yeah, I think Samsung have got themselves in a in a in a pretty good uh, pretty good place here. I last I I heard, and I'm sure COVID nineteen sort of plays into this, is Samsung sales weren't weren't at the level you would expect. To me, this feels like a bit more of a jump. Um, this year than we've had some previous years, just in, in, in terms of um, um, certainly on you know on the on that camera side. So um, yeah, I guess everyone has a different um, interest in terms of what they get out of their phone. I mean, a lot of it for Samsung is just people whose handset is now two, three, four years old, and it, and it's time to roll over and replace with you know whatever the uh, the latest is. But uh, yeah, for for me the um, the S twenty Ultra is uh, is is really a very nice product. There's probably some debate out there around um, uh, chipsets because you know they they um, uh, they you know use use the best of, of Qualcomm in the US, um, but for the rest of the world, we we tend to get the um, Exynos um, the chips from uh, from Samsung that they don't seem to be just quite as competitive on uh, performance and and um, 
battery life, which is, um, um, yeah, interesting. But uh, I mean, certainly it hasn't hasn't been an issue for me and my use so far. But uh, it's kind of hard to know when you haven't uh, you haven't tried tried both, right? Yeah, and a lot of that comes down to, I mean, with the current Trump administration, we see a lot of America First initiatives and putting tariffs on goods that could be made in the US. And so you will see manufacturers uh, choosing to have two of the same product, depending on where in the world you are. So I I guess there will be the geeks among us that will go and seek out the US version sometimes because we perceive it as better. And (laughs) Well, I I actually heard um, something saying that in in Korea, even in South Korea, um, that they've maybe shocked some of their own uh, Samsung engineers who who built and designed the Exynos processor uh, in that... They ended up la- launching the Qualcomm variant in um, in Korea as well. So um, yeah, I think you know, some people will be will be interested in uh, in that that aspect of um, of things. Now, let I think there's a lot to talk about um, this week again that really ties in in some way um, with COVID nineteen and 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 being in lockdown. I mean, really, this is is something that is changing our lives, and you know, some of these, some of the changes. I, you know, it seems pretty likely to me that they're going to lead to a you know long term sort of societal um, changes. And you know, for those of us who are working at at home now, and you know, of course, there is a percentage of the workforce that is able to work from home and, you know, probably a reasonable um, chunk of our listeners are, are able to do some some work from home. But there's also, you know, a, a huge number of people that um, that can't. So, you know, those within their, um, where their, their uh, work can be done remotely, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, pretty confident that lots of organisations will change their stance on working from home, you know, on a long on a long term basis to, you know, either a small or, or a large degree. So I think, um, you know, that that's pretty interesting, especially when we look at challenges of uh, roads that are that are too full at peak hours and the and the like, right? Um, hmm. and so maybe even some more flexible working hours type stuff. And then there's those sort of family uh, ch- changes. And look, I I think it, it's really interesting how. Um, you know, certain I guess certain segments of society that uh, maybe weren't so you know weren't so interested in in access to you know various technologies, or maybe they had a smartphone but they didn't didn't ever really want to use any of the apps. They would just use it for a phone call. Um, you know, th- this time has really en- encouraged a, you know a whole mix of people to start using technology maybe in in, in ways that they never uh, they never would have had it not been for. Uh, COVID nineteen. So you know we, we we're seeing I guess some of the older members of um, of society who have realised hey you know we we can um, while we're in lockdown still uh, you know keep up with a with a whole range of um, you know family members and and relatives through um, you know video calling and it and its varying forms um, you know and and even um, uh, you know hearing hearing stories about. How how house parties getting used? Um, I mean, I'm not I'm not sure that that's. Uh, uh, I've been amazed at the ages of the people in my contact because you get the notification. This friend has just added house party, and initially yes. it was my mates, right? But then I've started seeing names come up, uh, like acquaintances and works and workplaces and family. I'm going, y- you've got it. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to stereotype here, but I'm stereotyping. But seriously, <laughs> yeah, yeah. About five years ago, I had some um, I had some heart surgery, 
And uh, I was board said the operation's all successful, blah, blah, blah. And they insisted that I'd stay in for observation. I was jumping at the bit to get out. And um, I was board said the next day waiting for them to let me out. And I went around my ward and there were all these, it was just me on the ward with all these lovely old ladies, uh, old, old, old guys and ladies. Um, and they'd all been given iPads of some description by their family, but had absolutely no idea how to use them. And so by the time I left, they all, I taught them all how to use TVNZ on demand. And I taught them all how to use FaceTime or Skype. And they're absolutely stoked because once actually you have to go with some basics, like here is how you watch this program. Here is how you talk to this person. That's all you need to know. And actually once you adopt that, but yeah, you're right. It's really forced the point because we see very painful situations now where if you're in a risk home, you are physically not allowed to visit that person. Like no ifs, no buts. You cannot enter that rest home. And, and that's finally gone from a, hey, can you try and stay away if you've just come back from overseas to a hard, no. This is someone that you've seen every day of your entire life and suddenly it stops. And so that's been painful for people. So it, it really has forced the point quite well. Go back to what we were saying about working from home. Yes, it will see a shift, but not everyone. I can't wait to get back to work. Obviously, I've got a site-based role anyway. But whilst I'm, I'm not getting up at 6.30 in the morning anymore, why do I need to? So I don't. But am I as productive as I was? Who knows? I mean, we heard the you uh, the guy from Vodafone earlier saying he's the same. Like he's never eaten so terribly. Uh, he hasn't set up a work life balance. He hasn't put his breaks in. So it's it, it is a six to one half dozen the other. But no, it's going to be a great shift. I do remember back um, in the previous job, um, there was a day I called in sick, and um, I was sick. Uh, but nevertheless, I had people I needed to call, people I needed to get in touch with, and I sort of sat down on my couch uh, with, you know, half a litre of cough syrup in one hand and my laptop in the other and started making some phone calls. And by the end of the day, I won't, I won't give the numbers out, but I'd, I'd had one of the best days as a salesman in my life. <laughs> just from sitting at home, out right, just going to do this for a couple of hours because I have all the distractions of the office. But I yes, do miss yeah. the office. Like uh, now I work in construction, but we all know what um, – you know, guys in construction, what the banter must be like. And uh, <laughs> it is lacking a bit. It's a shame not to have that. So th- there will always be a place for the office. Like, you know, Vodafone have some of the primest real estate in Auckland City for thousands of workers, and yet they only need 12 of them on site at the moment. You know, th- they clearly see... Yeah, there was pretty interesting insight, wasn't yeah. it, from uh, from the chat with Jason Jason Paris? And you know, for those that uh, they haven't caught that, that will be going up on uh, the New Zealand Business Podcast. And yeah, there's some pretty in- interesting insights into uh, uh, you know just what what is going on within uh, within Vodafone at the moment. And uh, yeah, that one was amazing. That uh, you know they've, they've got essential service. You know, they, they can't shut down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've never been more important. Mm. But they can mostly work from home. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, um, now lots of lots of things to uh, to to talk about. Now, in this um, in this time, there, there have been varying discussions that sort of fall into the area of uh, privacy and also uh, cyber security. And you know, in fact, um, you know, a, a journalist asked me to have you know comment on uh, on House Party the other day, and I had a quick look, and I uh, you know we went through and had a look at the install process. And the first thing after you install it is it basically asks you to give up your your contacts and hand those over to House Party. Um, and who knows what you know what you've actually got amongst your contacts and how uh, everyone in your contact list would feel about having. All of their, you know, data uh, shared into some 
potential global database. You don't know, you know, who ultimately it, it gets to, but quite likely it will be leaked and absorbed somewhere. Um, and, you know, because even just simple stuff in contacts, you know, name, uh, home address, phone number, birth date, and, you know, then add whatever other, you know, comments you've put under the notes under each person and, and other things as well. Um, and, uh, and, and, and away you go. What's that? And like the yeah. phone, it's good the way the phones now have this very set in stone method of giving permission. So your phone asks you whether this, you don't have to read 20 pages of T's and Q's to understand whether the app can access your location because be it Android or iOS, it, it tells you, are you consenting to it? And is it while you're using the app or when you're not? You know, but we do have to trust that when we do transfer that data, I mean, the reason House Party wants your contacts is so you can add all your mates, right? Sweet. If they're only using it for that, I don't care. That's fine. But, you know, is there a deeper purpose? But it comes down to convenience as well, because I remember 20 years ago when I first got a broadband connection in the UK and, you know, using MSN Messenger with a, a 120 by 80 video feed from my webcam that I thought was out of this world from my friend who lived around the corner. Um, I think the refresh rate was about one image every two seconds. It was hilarious. But, um, of course, you know, in your contact card, be it the business cards you printed for free from Vista Print as, as a kid or, or whoever, you know, whichever way you had your contact card when Facebook first started, you, of course, had to put your MSN ID. You, and whereas now we don't. It's just like, sweet, oh, I'll find you on Zoom. Yep, yeah, tick, tick, tick. Oh, from phone numbers. Yep, yeah, man, there we go. This is where this person is. No matter what the app is, be it house party, Zoom, Microsoft. It, so it's always the trade-off, eh? You know, that that's the thing. And, yeah, and, and that's, that's an ongoing when it um, comes to the government looking at app-based solutions to move us out of COVID level four, the way mm. South Korea has, because it's, do we want the government to know where we are all the time? But then again, we'll, we'll get our lives back. <laughs> so it's, it's always a trade-off. There's no black and white anymore. It's always a trade-off versus convenience against not having control. Yeah, that's an interesting one. This uh, this area of contact tracing, which has been, um, you know, getting a fair bit of media attention over the last few days, and you know, I had a had a quick um, chat on TV three about it earlier on uh, today, and it's um, look, I I I answered a um, uh, or did an interview with Radio New Zealand about it, you know, a few days ago, and and you know, one of the questions they asked me is, you know, Paul, is this is this entirely safe? You know, these d- different approaches that, that could be taken. And look, some of them ap- appear, you know, from the outside to, to be really super sort of safe and, and, and secure. Uh, what Singapore are doing with this app, which, um, you know, basically en- encrypts a bunch of information, um, a, a, well, a, fair, a fairly light amount of information from other users that you come into the range of with a simple sort of Bluetooth, um, you know, movement of information uh, back and f- backwards and forwards. And look, that's, that all sounds pretty good, but um, it, it might still might not suit everybody. And we have, you know, no knowledge, just, you know, especially after uh, what's happened with Zoom and in recent days, we have no knowledge of whether an app that's been developed very, very rapidly um you know just how secure and and reliable it will be, and whether it will operate exactly as we uh, uh, we would anticipate. So there there are risks with whatever track that we get into, uh, but everything I'm hearing says that the contact tracing element 
um, is is really really key in terms of being able to um, help uh, reduce the impact of COVID nineteen and reduce its spread. And you know, there's a whole bunch of people at the moment who. Their job is basically doing that contract um, tracing via phone calls and so on. And and everyone you might have met in the previous week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and everyone who they might have met and so on. And exactly. So easy yeah. With the information that's already held on Apple's server. <laughs> but it, it comes down to we're, we're very free to give these to companies because we know what they're doing with it, right? We know that Google is going to take our GPS information to get us home quickly, to find us a nearby Uber, to um, make our journey times quicker by working out where everyone else is stuck in traffic. Now, we don't question that. Some of us do, but most of us don't, right? 90% of society. I do. You do. (laughs) However, that 90% of people that are happy to sign up to it very quickly stop signing up and the government says, hey, can we just have the same? And you go, whoa, no, no, no. Um, I'm a very good, upstanding member of society, and I promise I've never broken the speed limit. You know, it's, as soon as you give it to the government, even though it's for one purpose and they will put every safeguard in law in place, that trust is difficult for people. Um, we've seen it work in societies that have a very different approach to government. So China just accepts mass surveillance. That's just how Chinese society works. You have facial recognition on every street corner. Everyone's WeChat, you know, the, the messaging app, that's owned by the government, for goodness sake. There's no end-to-end encryption on there. Um, and, and so you have that relatively accepted by society. And uh, South Korea is the same. Um, South Korea, they set up contact tracing uh, through technology after the SARS and the MERS outbreaks impacted them quite badly. Yeah. And they did it, you know, before we had widespread really good cell phones, they did it with, okay, where's your credit card being used? Where's your transit pass being used? Where's mm. your um, cell phone, which cell towers has it used? And built mm. up a digital book in that way, which we still do. Like if you if you went out and committed um, a terrible crime and then ran off, then mm. straight away the police would go to Spark and say, hey, we want to know where this guy's phone is. And Spark would say, well, we can kind of tell you that, but we want to make yeah. sure you've got a reason. And hey, and then you go to ASB and say, hey, I want to know where he's used his credit card. And, you know, and so we can still do that, but we don't line it all up into one central agency that can just spy on everyone because society would hate that. Yeah, yeah. Well, in this, yeah. if we want to bounce back, like you look at those graphs and South Korea is here and we're here and you go, do you want to stay locked up forever? <laughs> it's interesting because we do draw lots of sort of lines as to what the what the um, reason is that certain um, you know certain locations we're not seeing a, a broader spread. Uh, spread. I, I talked to um, a friend in uh, in Taiwan a few days ago, and yeah, he was telling me that they've got a, a reasonably free amount of movement, um, yet their, their number of infections. Uh, when I last looked, was certainly below New Zealand, but a population that's five times as big as New Zealand, and and yet you know there were direct flights from you know Wuhan to uh, to Taipei, uh, you know that that, that that you know kept going and so on. Um, so yeah, it, it is quite interesting. But there there are I think probably a mix of cultural factors. There's yeah, what technologies have been put in place? What are all of the 
all of the all of the mechanisms. Um, uh, now, just jumping back onto um, onto WeChat, that's owned by Tencent. I know it has sort of been speculated that it's kind of you know own, owned and controlled by the government, but um, I, I but yeah, in in China, yeah, any Chinese company has to be willing to hand over the data that they've collected. I, I, I mean, in, in most countries, if your government yeah. demands it. Um, there, there, there can be challenges for that company. Now, you know, I think in um, in Huawei, I've had the problems with supplying the world's best five G hardware, but no one being willing to use it because yeah, yeah, and and I think I think we've sort of yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've joined up some dots there, and and you know, of course, Trump's sort of you know been 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 involved there. Um, it can be hard to actually work work out the reality of you know what does and doesn't get sort of intercepted, and um, and how. I mean, I certainly you know hope that at a, at a Western democracy, these things are reasonably transparent, but um, um, yeah. they're maybe not always as as they seem um and yeah my, my confidence in terms of what happens in, in china um or in russia and in terms of you know government transparency or transparency of a of a private entity yeah it's going to be different to what i would expect in in, in a place like new zealand um you know or or, or a number of other countries but um yeah separate it from governments in some way so we have to you know put it in the the district health and the health boards, the Ministry of Health, which is still part of government, right? Um, but you know, make sure that that separation is very distinct and it's for one purpose. And I guess um, we already have the technology. If you make a triple one call, that they can track the location of that phone, and that is done under incredibly strict criteria um, yeah. with how that location is saved, stored, transmitted. Because of course, there are plenty of people that will call triple one that don't want to be located. You know, that they they may be part of the crime, but you know that. They're reporting it so that they, you know, it's um, and that's a difficult one. But we, we crossed that bridge with that with an obviously valid system for yeah, I'm somewhere on State Highway One, just crashed my car, I'm about to pass out, um, you know, and covering off the grey area between well, need to know where they are to treat them, but also need to respect privacy. So we'll manage it, but it's mm. it's going to be a, a conversation to be had with the public. And the annoying thing is. 80% buy-in doesn't cut it. You need 100% buy-in of anyone that wants to leave their front door. Well, I, ideally, ideally you do. Now, what we've heard about Singapore um, and and their Trace Together app, um, you know, is the one that, that, that I think there's been a lot of interest in because it doesn't give out a GPS location of the people. It's based on who came within Bluetooth range of, you know, yeah. or... Whose device came within Bluetooth range of your device? What was the signal strength? So they tr- they're able to try and um, basically build a um, an estimate of how far away that you were from that person. So the you know the closer they uh, they they come they came, then you know the more likelihood if you know if one party got infected. Um, but th- you know that's very much a sort of it's an opt in type thing. Um, we heard I don't know a, a week or. Ten days ago, that there were about six hundred thousand users on that in Singapore. It's now up to, or the last number I saw was north of um, a million, I think. But still, with, with a population that's um, you know reasonably similar to ours, I think sort of five to six million. Um, yeah, they're they're well off a hundred percent, but they're still feeling like it's it's helpful to have, but. You know, mm-hmm. really, it is it is not the complete uh, the not the complete picture, and 
in a country like New Zealand, we're, we're unlikely to get that 100% buy-in unless there's, uh, um, you know, some incredible uh, media campaign and uh, it's sold extremely well. Uh, and especially while most of us are uh, spending most of our time at, at, at home as well. So, um, I, I, yeah. mean, I do wonder whether there'll be some extent to if you sign up, you get this. I think that's what we may see. So under level three, it would be, yep, we can reopen all the businesses, but only if the employees do this, if they're not working. I wonder whether we'd see something like that. I mean, it's, we're just hypothesizing here. But I, yeah. Yeah. for example, works nicely because whilst GPS is amazing, um, GPS will return a lot of false positives. We know from COVID you need to be within two meters of the person. You actually need a, a decent amount of exposure to them. Um, and the one downside is that, before they get symptoms, they can be um, at rest. So um, the good thing with Bluetooth is that Bluetooth is very good for proximity. It's it's not great for – you can't use it as a GPS service, but it's great for proximity. We've already seen that in some societies where ads are targeted to phones based on where they are within the store uh, off proximity Bluetooth. And uh, I think we'll see a lot more of it in the Internet of Things. Um, and so I think the Singapore example is a really good one. Um, but it, it's more difficult technologically because the easiest thing on earth is to tell us all to turn our GPS on, track us, and if anyone gets symptoms and the two tracks cross in the period where we could be contagious, sweet, send them a text. Like, that works really easily. But it stops working once we're inside the countdown in Westfield. So yeah. that's where the Bluetooth comes into play. That would be really good because we'll start to see maybe not allowing mass gatherings but still places where lots of people are and simply alerting 2,000 people that they might have been exposed to COVID-19 when it turns out they're actually just driving down State Highway 1 um, isn't particularly helpful. So, yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other thing that caught my attention sort of that was something local, um, foodstuffs and uh, um, Auckland-based company um, Satellite, a friend of mine runs, um, is, um, is interesting. They're, they're um, doing this text queuing for the supermarket. So for me, that seems like a, a dream rather than sort of standing outside your supermarket for an hour. You can go and sit in your car and watch Netflix or, or whatever and be, you know, quite comfortable and relaxed, particularly if it's if it's raining on that day. Um, sounds really good. But I imagine that you could potentially extend that sort of system uh, to, to, to also, you know, because they, they're getting – you know, mobile numbers off people uh, to know who was at a particular supermarket at a particular uh, you know point point in time. So there are, there are lots of lots of mechanisms that you know potentially could be drawn on. I think that the, that it is important that if the government um, you know are, are being told that this this makes sense from a health perspective uh, that they get rolling and uh, and then they move quickly on it. So, um, yeah. yeah it's not new because China's done that for ages. I remember I went on a bit of a bar crawl in Beijing a couple of years ago and the two bars I went into were, you know, a bit of a language barrier as we walked in, but oh, can we have a table for 10 people? Ah, get out. And then you got WeChat. Yep. And you hand them WeChat. And before you know it, WeChat has been set up to alert you when your table's available. You've made a reservation. You're in a queue. Here's the beer menu while you're waiting. <laughs> and it was amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. So these systems, they're out there. We just need buy-in for people to use them. And this situation forces people to use them that ordinarily wouldn't have. Because yeah. you're right. We don't want to go and stand in line with people and say, hey, keep away from everyone, and then stand in line with everyone. Not the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Um, now, one little initiative, and there, I mean, there are so many different things going on, um, but um, Michelle Michelle Dickinson, Nano Girl, um, you know, uh, yep, her um, her her you know business with Nanogirl uh, Labs that her and her husband have um, is is built around running events uh, to the to the you know to the most degree. They've got books and other bits and pieces all works together, um, but of course their their events business is uh, is kind of shot for the you know at least the uh, the immediate future. So um, you know they put online a um, an online learning course to uh, to keep. Uh, you know, youngsters educated on their, uh, you know, um, science, uh, technology, and and uh, um, engineering, maths, so on, um, which is is you know is great, and they've you know got that and uh, and put it online very very quickly. So yeah, it's, it's great to see um, you know just the not just that one, but um, you know just good to see Kiwis being innovative. And looking at well, how do we do things differently? How can we use technology at this time um, to pivot, reinvent businesses? And there's some yeah, there's some great um, resources online, um, and those willing to get behind uh, you know businesses that are maybe trying to navigate their way way forward. So you know, I, I hope we will we will see a lot of uh, innovation from uh, from Kiwi firms, and that we'll look for where where the new gaps in the market um, are. And uh, that you know our our economy you know won't be maybe as badly hit as it could have been because we uh, we employ that uh, famous uh, you know Kiwi ingenuity um, to to our challenges. And I do wonder how many of these companies, and of course they've everyone's given stuff away for free in, in the face of this, right? But they've now got our details, and we've tried out their services, and we kind of like them. So everyone's struggled. The digital space has made it quite difficult to get money out of people. We're seeing media. So many outlets go through. We saw Bauer last week. Um, the Herald's been trying to do a premium subscription for some time. Uh, will we actually see a bit of a societal change from people going, actually, these companies do great work. Um, absorbing it through online content is the way I want to do it. Maybe it is worth me putting two bucks a week or whatever it costs to actually get this. And so it's and it's not just in education and courses like you were saying with, with, with um, Michelle Dickinson and Anagirl. Um, we've seen it in the arts as well. The arts sector has been overnight, their entire industry shut down under COVID-2, let alone COVID-4. Um, one of my hobbies is singing. I had um, concerts lined up with the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra in the Auckland Philharmonia. Um, they were all cancelled instantly. Um, and I had a friend who this year, his opera career was finally picking up. He got contracts with some very big shows and uh, he therefore quit his day job. And now he, and then he had to go cab in hand to wins. Um, because instantly all those contracts were cancelled. So it's been a very hard time for arts. Um, and so when COVID-2 was announced, the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra invested heavily in streaming technology so they could stream their concerts without an audience. Great. That was how mine was supposed to go ahead originally. Um, but then uh, within a week, we got announced that actually, no, we're not going to be able to have th those on stage at all. So they went, oh, we've got this technology. How do we use it? Well, the Auckland uh, Philharmonia Orchestra, they've got a great back catalogue because they've recorded their concerts for some time. And so they, they'd organise a Facebook watch party and a stream and, and like stream a concert from last year and get everyone behind it. Um, because people like something that feels live, even if it's not, in a funny yeah. way. Um, but then what the NZSO did is uh, rather than just use a back catalogue, they actually went and sent the streaming gear out to the individual section leaders and you got a concert in the, in the, in the, um, in the, in the lounge of 
a different section leader every night last week from the end of the cell. I thought that was wonderful. Like, they're an orchestra of 90 players. This is not something we're used to seeing, but we still got to see those artists expressing their art, and that was that was really fantastic and heartwarming to see. And uh, we've seen that all around the world. The Metropolitan Opera in New York, they streamed uh, every night operas live, um, free from their back catalogue, that usually even to get the video, you know, would actually cost you a bit of money down at the cinema. So it's been really nice to see these services that maybe we've known about but not been bothered to take advantage of. We've had the opportunity now because we've been forced to, and we kind of liked it. So just as we were saying earlier about workplaces, maybe getting off the roads a bit, we probably might see the same with how we appreciate our arts. I mean, I, um, Georgia FM, they have been promoting their DJs and organizing live stream sessions for their DJs that can't play, show, can't play gigs anymore. They, they can't do festivals. And um, so they've been organizing that. And so it's been great to see it in both education, which, let's be honest, could have done this ages ago and hasn't. Universities have dabbled in it and done kind of a bad job and suddenly they have to if they want some income. Um, but then also arts just to help increase the, the breadth and spread of arts to everyone's living room. It's been, been really nice to see. And uh, it, it will cause some societal change for sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and uh, look, yeah, there are certainly some pleasing aspects to come out of it. Now, a couple of things that I wanted to uh, wanted to touch on. Um, Microsoft got themselves into uh, into a little bit of uh, contra- controversy around um, AnyVision, which is a uh, an Israeli uh, facial recognition startup that they had in, invested in. Um, and they, this has sort of caused them so much drama um, that they've actually said they are now uh, they're no now no longer willing to make minority investments in companies that sell um, controversial technology. Basically, so you know, for Microsoft themselves, you know, of course, have a huge investment in artificial intelligence and and, and facial recognition, but they also have uh, their their own. Um, uh, ethics committee or ethics board who are, I guess, you know, somewhat independent from, um, you know, those people running the, running these individual teams. They, you know, they underta- understand Microsoft as a, as a business and, and, and has to make money. So they're, they're not sort of going to say, look, Microsoft shouldn't be involved in artificial uh, intelligence and shouldn't be involved in, in facial recognition. Um, but they are also drawing boundaries around the sorts of things that it's appropriate um, and for Microsoft to be involved in. And so, yeah, just really interesting to uh, t- to see this take place. Um, I, I remember um, uh, hearing Microsoft's um, um, CEO, you know, talk about this new ethics uh, committee going back, uh, t- you know, two, two or three years ago. How important that it um, um, that it was to, to, to him, such and Adela. Uh, and I wonder if this is something that sort of come out of that ethics committee, or if it's come from. Uh, um, from from elsewhere, but you look, it's you know, it's it's pleasing to see that there there is some uh, some wisdom now going to be around uh, those those sorts of investments. I guess the reality is you can't necessarily stop all of these things either. And um, I mean, in, in this case, it was around reports that the technology um, of any version was being used to. Uh, do surveillance on Palestinians who lived in the occupied West Bank. 
and um, you know that that yeah p- p- potentially you know all all sorts of uh, um, challenges and and look you know probably you know there there's there's I mean huge challenges when 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 you look in that area in terms of um, yeah. uh, you know get, getting peace let alone. Uh, um, well, getting you know, getting getting agreement on what would be appropriate on an AI front, let alone getting you know, trying to uh, trying to get to a, 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 a peace settlements and so on. Um, but and yeah, I just it's a good approach. Um, facial recognition is it's recognised as a weapon. It's a it's a surveillance covert surveillance system, and yet it has usability in a completely non-militaristic level in so many parts of our lives. So. Developing the technology is always going to be a minefield for the companies that engage in it because it can be used the wrong way. I mean, you could look at a facial recognition system that monitors how shoppers move through a supermarket and understand which aisles need to be wider accordingly by tracking them that way. Great. But the exact same system can monitor Palestinians in the West Bank. It's 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 a really difficult um, space for people to operate in. It's great to see that Microsoft, that you know, they didn't wait till you know, someone did a big in-depth investigation into them and then wrote a documentary about it. They have their own ethics committee. They constantly vet what they do. And they've always uh, tried to make the best decisions, both back in the day when they took everyone back to square zero and looked at security of their products and sort of recalibrated every engineer to think security first. Um, We're also seeing this with ethics as well, because the lines between technologies, I mean, they've always been blurred. I mean, you know, uh, human flight um, got to where it is today on the back of military hardware. Uh, you know, I am used that we use in every device that tell which way up your phone is, which way your drone's flying. Um, every device has an IMU. They, they tell you when your car's about to crash. Those were developed to run submarines, which couldn't benefit from GPS. It's, it's always difficult because you can't just say it's military equipment or it could be I don't want to invest in it because that's actually how we've been able to do the most research because war's often the way to promote that investment. War and sport, <laughs> in a weird way, they promote that much investment, just like um, Formula One is, has done probably more than anything else for car efficiency, despite being the least efficient sport on earth. It's, yeah, um, yeah. The technologies we've developed out of it, people laugh when they did hybrid cars in Formula One back in the day, and now look at us. Um, yeah, so yeah. It's, always a difficult one from a moral ethical standpoint and it's good that microsoft recognize that and always willing to go hey we don't think we've made the right call but it's a hard one you've got to feel for that yeah and look i I, you know no company gets it right all the time but um certainly the 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 hit that they got in the in uh media and so on around this one has uh you know probably helped spur spur on a, a good decision now um yeah you i mean you referenced that reset that microsoft did um and i can't remember how many years ago it was it'll be the better part of uh 20 years, but where Microsoft, I think it was, it was led by Bill Gates was the sort of, you know, reset of, um, of their business to really take security seri- very, very seriously. And, um, it looks as though Zoom, after the attention that they've been getting in, um, you know, in recent weeks and, and particularly in mainstream media over, over the last, uh, you know, week or, week or so, um, that stuff really re- reached a, a, a fever pitch where, um, you know, so many people were, were utilizing, uh, Zoom, yet they had some pretty major, uh, security issues. And, you know, there's a, a bunch of things they've already put in place to, uh, to minimize those. 
but yeah, interesting. Uh, you know, hearing that they've brought out their um, um, or that you know their CEO um, was it Eric S Yarn, I think, if I'm remembering the, the correct chap, um, has oh, yeah. uh, uh, has come out to, to basically say, look, we're putting all features on hold for the next 90 days uh, while we, you know, we, we, we re-look at, um, at the security and, and uh, privacy aspects of, um, of our product. Now, that's going to give you know, them a... They're a new startup like that. They, they haven't been around for long. They just, where they set themselves apart is the way they've been able to really limit the bandwidth use to make this experience seamless. And so security has to be a focus for everyone. But they, I don't think when they first set up that they would have envisaged that within such a short space of time, entire cabinet discussions for, G, for G20 nations would be happening on their platform and that they need to take that level of security, you know, into concern. So you've got to feel for them on the one hand. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, they, 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 they launched in, I think it was uh, 20, 2011, so nine years since they started. I think publicly their product's been in the, in the market for about uh, about seven years. They have grown really, really quickly um, because, yeah, they've they, they nailed that ease of use. They seem to have got that right sort of balance in, in terms of uh, uh, bandwidth. Um, you know, it's one of, one of those tools that, um, you know, compared to the competition, uh, was hey, it, it just works and 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 does what it needs to do, and um, you know I think it, it's a, it is a really interesting story from you know perspective. We had Skype, um, you know we had a, a bunch of tools for uh, you know video conferencing, WebEx and whatnot um, that were already in the market um, that were quite big players. Yet um, you know that Zoom had the had the uh, wherewithal to uh, um, you know. Put uh, put a whole lot of money into actually, you know, coming up with uh, with something where, you know, I'm not sure too many people thought that there was there was room for a little uh, little startup. Um, but I, I think yeah, they they probably kept in that startup mode a little bit, which is one thing that of, often concerns me about about uh, you know newer newer software and not just new software, but um, as often well, how well have they sort of baked in the security things that they that they need to do and. In the case of Zoom, uh, it looks like they just haven't actually been playing on any sort of level playing field with uh, with the other other players. That's certainly how it comes across right now, anyway. But hey, they're addressing it, so um, so that's good. Now, before we wrap wrap up, and I know there's a lot more we could be talking about. Um, there were there were a couple of things. One. Um, I, I realise you know some of our audience will be uh, will be sitting in that uh, that category where uh, some of the work they need to do at least will fall into uh, into the essential um, category. Um, I know that things have sort of been lightened up a, a, a little bit, or it's been made a little bit easier in terms of uh, things around. Uh, technology provision, so you know, retailers are able to sell computers now. Um, those involved with internet service provision, of course, are um, you know are, are able to operate. Um, but there will be areas where those in um, you know involved in, in fields of technology will be wondering, well, okay, what are, you know what are the what are the rules now? And I thought it was interesting that. Um, 
uh, Uber, Ola, and Zumi are, uh, are still operating because I thought, well, nobody can really get around it much at the moment. Uh, people are going to want to stay out of vehicles, but what about uh, those who don't have full mobility? And um, yeah, we a mem- member of our team that uh, that needs to needs to travel and uh, uh, isn't able to drive. And uh, yep, sure enough, all of those services are uh, are still operating. I've definitely now, got friends that don't own a car specifically because Uber's cheap. <laughs> yeah, yep. they still need to get to the doctor, the pharmacy, yeah. the supermarket. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. walking doesn't cut it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, lastly, just to sort of you know, because drones is kind of you know that's your that's your main uh, uh, day job is working with drones. I was just uh, you know curious to to hear from you in terms of um, you know any any things interesting happening on the. Um, um, you know, drone front, uh, you know, countries that are maybe uh, or, or, or areas where they're using uh, drones during this COVID-19 um, era. I heard some things um, in terms of China where, you know, of course, the, the uh, DJI being the, the sort of the, the big giant with, a, you know, the large uh, majority sort of market share being a, uh, a Chinese company based out of Shenzhen there. Um, yeah, just, just uh, you know, curious how, uh, how drones are being, being used currently. Well, China very quickly essentially disinfected their entire cities, um, and that's not very efficient to do, as you can imagine, uh, spraying every single surface, um, certainly at a point at a concentration at which you'd want to without threatening, you know, human population below. Um, and so they, as I understand it, the biggest uh, drone manufacturers in China, because China's had tens of thousands of agricultural drones for some time, so they quickly sat down and came up with a protocol that they saw as being safe, workable, um, to use agricultural drones to spray disinfectants so that it would both be safe and, and efficient. And they did the bulk of their city spraying was done with drones, which is something that um, I don't think any of us expected to see, but drones crisscrossing around the city spraying disinfectant. And uh, I've been... It, it appears to have been effective. China has got rid of COVID-19 faster than anyone else has. So um, they did that. But then um, there was also an element of, you know, contact-free uh, travel, and travel was severely restricted in China. Even if you had the right to travel, you, of course, had to go through checkpoints and things, and so it was slow. Um, and uh, there were uh, companies that were doing transfers of medical samples, Um to, to, to help with the transit speeds, um, that's, that, that, that took off. But then uh, the third example I saw from China um, was that, you know, we think of them as these concrete jungle cities, and, and you know, China has huge cities uh, that you could fit New Zealand into 10 times over. Um, but it's also got – it's also a huge country with very differing terrain and, and environments. It's got mountainous areas. It's got uh, people that – live days away from large civilizations, um, they've still got to go shopping. They're still going to move around. And so we saw a, a central delivery startup services replacing what would have been a two-hour mountain path on a mo- motorbike um, where we don't really want that because if COVID gets into one village and you're walking through four villages to get to your shop, you know, you, you're going to spread it. It's already difficult to treat it there. So, Let's not spread it. Um, so we saw drone delivery services operating in China. Um, they, they said they were covering what used to be two-hour journeys for some people in 10 minutes. Um, yeah. And that's what China did. We also saw it in Europe as well. I, I think it was um, Spain 
had uh, their little um, drones. They had some, I saw some parrots and some, and some Mavics with speakers on top going around telling us, and, and it's also in Asia too, actually in China as well, but uh, telling the citizens to distance. Just a bit of a reminder because it, it's foreign concept to all of us. I mean, uh, I was, um, I did actually go into work the other day. I, I had a pass, essential worker, et cetera, et cetera. And um, obviously when we're on site, we have to have someone with us for safety. Now, we used to do, both share the same vehicle. Now we're driving around in two vehicles. Um, but at one point I was talking to him and he was like, hey, man, two metres. I, You know, we're all thinking about it. But in that moment, I'd forgotten how close I was getting to someone. Gone back. And so just that little reminder to people was good. Where it, where it wasn't so welcome was in the UK. There was a – and I think it's probably been oversold a bit, but there was a police – unit who were drone equipped um in the midlands in the uk who were driving back from a job apparently and they, they popped the drone up to double check the very popular walking spot to see how busy it was they took a photo and said this is ridiculous and put it on their social media and kind of went guys this is not what we want you're all hanging out here please don't now the flip side was that, that got reported as police use drone to monitor people to make sure and you know the UK didn't like it right they're like us they were policed by consent not by uh, you know a state that spies on you um, and and so it's I think it got overblown because they honestly were just looking to take a photo knowing full well there'd be a thousand people up there going guys we said social distancing please do it um, and yeah, it got yeah. and cops use drones for surveillance and. But, you know, it's still an application. And, and to be fair, it started a debate, and I'm sure everyone that day went, oh, yeah, that was me. Um, and ordinarily they would have just carried on doing that because it's a four-hour hike and cops probably don't have the time to climb up there and check what people are doing. So, yeah, it's, it's yep. been an interesting space. Um, yeah. Just no, technology. Yeah. That's good. Oh, thanks for the thanks for those insights. Um, um, uh, Prius is, is probably in some ways convenient that we don't have uh, people carrying drones um, just yet, but uh, um, people jumping out of areas where they where they where they should be if those were a dime a dozen in Wuhan or something. But uh, anyway, we're 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 out of time for this one. So um, thank you, Jonathan, very much for uh, for joining the New Zealand Tech Podcast um, again. It was uh, you know great to uh, great to catch up and uh, chat through all of all. Of these things that are uh, that are going on um now if anyone's interested in getting in touch how are, how are you reachable are you on oh, um, social yeah find me on social got facebook got linkedin um surname's pretty unique so um, not too hard to find Excellent. Oh, thank you very much, Jonathan Kubiak. And uh, thanks, everybody, for uh, for joining the New Zealand Tech Podcast again this week. Now, a huge thank you to the brands that make New Zealand Tech Podcast possible. Uh, Vodafone New Zealand, Sumo Logic, Spark, Vocus, HP and Samsung. Uh, th- those are the brands that are uh, that are enabling NZ Tech Podcast to uh, to keep going and uh, funding the show. So um, yeah, huge thank you to to those brands for their support, both of the New Zealand Tech Podcast um, and of the the overall tech community in New Zealand. All right, that's us. We'll catch you uh, on the next episode, folks. And uh, do look out for some of those extra episodes we've got. Uh, some of them will be appearing on just under NZ Business Podcast as well, um, or they may come across to the New Zealand Tech Podcast but we've got interviews there with uh, chief executives from um, Spark, Vodafone, Foodstuffs and Vocus. So, uh, yeah, some really great chats there about life in these uh, these challenging times. All right. Thanks, everyone. Catch you. 
the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.